1: Welcome to the Story Studio. Oh yeah, here we go. Check it out now. Welcome to the Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. My name's Daniel Wilcox, and today I'm joined by... Uh, Mr. Luke Condo. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Luke <laughs> Condo with a K. And... Special guest. And Nick Cole. I told you I'd talk over you. <laughs> That's cool. That's a good start. Yeah. Welcome, Nick. Uh, so we're joined today by author, game writer, actor, Star Wars, not Star Wars, co-creator, Vanguard of the indie publishing revolution, and a downright fantastic dude, Nick. How are we doing, Nick?
0: Um, after that kind of intro, how could I How could I be doing anything but great? So it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Thank you. Fantastic Nick, pleasure to have I've you. I've got
2: to say, I'm really excited to, to have you on, Nick. I've been a fan for quite a while, and it's just quite oh, nice wow. to... Uh, I don't know, get to talk to you, I guess. It's nice.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah, it's it's um what 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 book did you kind of discover me through?
2: You know what it was? I think you were on the Rocking Self Publishing Podcast a long yes. quite a while ago. And
0: <laughs> yeah, with Simon, that yeah. would have been um I think that was when I came on for a venture that a bunch of us were doing um called Apocalypse Weird.
2: Yeah. And mm. then
0: that sort of, that was very ambitious. And then um, I learned, you know, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. And then I work with other people and then I learned maybe I shouldn't be. But, yeah. but uh, it's, uh, yeah, that would be, the book that came out of that was The Red King. And that's the weird series yeah. um, that's mm. if I have going on right now. But some people know me from The Old Man in the Wasteland, which was my um, first initial success. So I always kind of like to get a gauge uh, where people were first exposed to my, my bad behavior
1: yeah yeah if you want mine it was literally i think it was um luke introduced me a couple of months ago just through your um free starter book on mailing list which is the first one from the weird series isn't it
0: yeah 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 and
1: i've and i've recently been listening to the audiobook of um the end of the world as we knew it
0: which is fantastic i love that you know and that's that was a departure for me because it was kind of, of um, veering into romance a little bit,
1: mm. even though
0: I just wanted to write a zombie story, but then it got it got very romantic. But the two actors, I'm so glad you're listening to that because the two, as I said, I was an actor. Um, yeah. I was probably not a very good actor, but I, I you know, what I made up for in talent, I, I made up in enthusiasm what I lacked in talent. Um, but those two particular, uh, narrators, Mayor Trevathan, um, and a gentleman named Guy Williams, they are absolute rock stars. And if I had half the talent that they had, I would have worked beyond a pizza commercial. It is fantastic. Yeah. I was actually saying to Luke the other day, I'm quite
1: glad that I'm listening to the audio book because of the way that it's told. It's very, very audio focused, isn't it?
0: Yes. Yeah. It, I think, well, I think the, the way that I chose to tell that story, which was, Sort of through uh, memos from Ground Zero, it's it's a, it's very much a diary novel. It mm. really, and it's it's two people. It's two it's a it's a a, a a fiance and a fiance, a man and a woman, and they are um, both sort of expressing their last moments to each other um, in the middle of this pandemic. And so, it it really does like I I think yeah it, it that's one of those books that's probably better as an audio book in my opinion. Mm.
2: We, we yeah, had I think a I'm... sorry. We had a John L. Monk on as well, and he was saying, um, "You stick the landing." He said he was thinking of <laughs> <his> phrases. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, from John L. Monk, that's you know, there there is a guy who's absolutely banging it out on the park in post-apocalyptic right now, which mm. that's a genre that everybody is always willing to tell you, "Oh, it's over and it's dead." And then I think the world reaches sort of a new nadir, a new low. And everybody suddenly gets, you know, like it just doesn't go away. It's I mean, I think if things were great worldwide globally, you know, like if ISIS weren't ravaging things or America weren't melting down politically or you didn't have Brexit, you know, whatever it is, if everything was very jolly right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, then then post-apocalyptic fiction might sort of like people might get more optimistic. But you know, every time you look at the papers, there's there's a new Sort of post-apocalyptic scenario, and so it just seems to—it's the genre you can't kill, which it's, is ironic.
2: It's, uh, yeah. it's probably fed from like the zeitgeist of, of today. I think we, exactly. we, we're living in interesting times, and apparently that yeah. that, that's well, a, that begets post apocalyptic My
0: secret—my secret suspicion about the post-apocalyptic culture in the post-apocalyptic reader—and um, it's very much kind of summed up in in the the, the grand finale oh. of Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. But I think what everybody who, you know, when we when we go home and we open up our credit card bills and we, you know, deal with our life or we look at our pay situation and we realize, oh, I'm going to be doing this job for the next 30 years. The fantasy of post-apocalyptia is the big reset that the credit card companies have been gone up in nuclear fire and that you're, you're going to have to sort of go back to our more tribal ways you're going to have to go kill the bear for food you're going to have to put up your own little castle and i I think like always at the at the core of of the of the human sort of experience is that desire to try to make a go of it on your own and we're getting less and less of that in this culture we're getting more you know governments that sort of really want to provide everything for you but they frown on killing bears in the street (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's 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 kind of the ultimate blank page for any writer really yeah exactly it's the ultimate game of survivor yeah
2: yeah, yeah.
1: um so
2: we should so we've got a few questions for you uh yes, sir. but before that uh we need to do our big whoops for the week because we talk about you know something we've read watched heard anything really so
1: uh, Dan, do you want to start smell then you want to start us off <laughs> yeah yeah um so my big whoop of this week is um and it's kind of a shame. This will probably be coming out a few weeks after today. Is the twenty fifth of April? If I'm right, twenty sixth. One of them. Um, so it'll be out for a few weeks by now. Um, but is Story Shop from the um, Sterling and Stone guys, which is one of those projects that I've kind of been keeping an eye on for well, probably for about a year, a year and a half. Um, I kind of caught onto their original Kickstarter. And for those that don't know, Story Shops basically um, an alternative to Uh, the commonly used software to plan your stories and to build everything within. So you can put your characters in there in full color in sort of social media like profiles. You can put your elements in, you can put your stories and plan it all out in there. Um, With the aim of they'll be releasing like a writer version in a couple of months that all integrates everything. So it will basically be the ultimate writing software, which is what they're kind of labeling it as. Mm. Um, And I've had it for probably about four or five days. And I have to say that it is genuinely fantastic. Still quite early in its development, so there are still a few bugs. But the guys developing it very open to submitting anything that you find and saying that they'll come back to it soon. But just as a basis, it's um, just as a place seen... to like
2: put down your, your your ideas all in one place, right? But it's yeah, stunning. yeah, because I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, I we use Scrivener, and you obviously got little binders at the side, but this kind of gives a visual element to it where you can just see. I mean, I was saying to you the other day, Luke, about um. We put all the characters from the Rot series in there, and I didn't realize how many that we had until I saw it all out on this sort of canvas. Yeah.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, small, that small sounds numbers.
2: great. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a decent price as well. It's $99 for the year or nine ninety nine a month, which, you know, when you put into perspective, isn't too bad.
0: If you're doing, you know, I'll just weigh in on what you're saying because I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I love to hear the sound of my own voice. It's really wonderful. <laughs> <ridiculous. But laughs> it's a nice voice. If though. you're doing... Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing the new publishing method that a lot of like really the top selling writers are doing right now on Amazon, which is almost a book every month, Mm. you kind of, you know, like I am someone who uses word and I'm pretty, you know, like I just, I don't, I don't, I don't have that. But if you're, if you're, if you're doing the mass production outlet thing right now, something like that sounds genius because you're obviously working on multiple books at a t- at one time. And so mm. you probably do need that ability to come back and see everything reacquaint with yourself with the story and dive back in. So that's, that's brilliant. I like that. Yeah. yeah,
1: And everything's sort of interconnected. So if you're writing and planning out your books, you can literally do kind of like Twitter, kind of like other social media, you put an at sign type your character right. and it will come up with that identifiable character. You can literally just click on the word and it will take you to their profile. If you've got their eye color, their height, any, any key information. So yeah very interactive yeah. that's very
2: cool do mm. Do you feel like there's a worry of it taking away the the ro the romance of um you know a ink and quill sort of uh note-taking or are you sort of thinking you know we're in a technology age this is how it's going to be from now on get with it that's I, t- uh i mean i
1: i've i've never been precious about whatever method it's normally just whatever's working at the time best mm. for me
0: yeah I think at 11 years old, I imagined that I was going to, and was sort of like, and it's very, it's, I am an Anglophile. I love the English. That's why I love talking mm. to you guys. So <laughs> I kind of always imagined that I would grow up to be J.R. Tolkien with the hmm. tweed suit and the pipe. Oh yeah. So I have the love of the quill and the typewriter <laughs> and the den and everything like that. But what I really do think, because, you know, literally we did have this, this revolution that no one's talked about it's but it is the digital revolution it's it's really weird and understated but nowhere was that more in writing like it, the, we even surpassed the music industry things like that and we went from this place of where the gatekeepers sort of you had to be Tolkien where you had to be from an ivory tower to get a book through you know now honestly um, working class blokes like us can can compete on that level and do those things. And so, so um, I kind of I, I have now shifted to embrace buy the ticket, take the ride, embrace the technology. It's mm. it's what's gotten us here. And it, and when you look at marketing strategies or things that are out there today, it it's changing like literally week to week, moment to moment. So. To be fusty and to insist on that's sort of the luxury of if you are JK Rowling or, yeah, you know, but you probably do need to play, you know, I mean, it's it's Thunderdome, right? Writing on Amazon is Thunderdome for Mad Max. And so, If it takes a chainsaw or it takes a pipe wrench, you gotta get it done. <laughs> you got to tool. Up. Yeah, you can yeah.
1: find. Yeah, you can find a happy medium as well. Just throwing this out there because I saw this the other day. It's on my list of things to buy. They do do a typewriter style keyboard that yeah, is I saw USB. That yeah i think i need that
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean i still think you should have your you know you know whatever there there is the actual act of writing that is a joy and for me that's when my hands settle on the keyboard that tactile sensation is this moment of like ah yes but you know um like i said the craziest thing going on right now is that there are people pulling in $30,000 a month, $250,000 a month in writing. But the model that they're using is every 30 to 60 days, which is, is fair. I mean, to me, it's fairly impossible, but if you use all these tools and techniques, uh, I think you have a competitive chance. Yeah, Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick, have you got a big whoop for us this week?
0: Um, I would say that it's sort of, again, going back to Tolkien, like um, I'm, I'm working for a video game company right now and we're designing a couple of games. And so one of them was a fantasy game and I had to um, go into, uh, again, back to Tolkien, the master of it all. And like everybody, I think like the majority of Tolkien readers, I had owned the Silmarillion. I had maybe read 25 pages of it. And you go, oh my gosh, this isn't Lord of the Rings. It's pretty complex. It's heavy. It's heavy, but now I realize how brilliant it is, Mm. especially when I'm having to create a world, a fantasy world for a video game company. It can't just be one of my books. Like they want the texture and the depth. And so you go to Tolkien and it's weird because my most, and I used I was one of those kids that read it every year, maybe a couple of times a year. And I haven't for a long time, the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then you see the movies and you're, you're probably generally, if you're not, if you're not a rabid fan, you're probably generally delighted with the movies. And, and that was sort of my most recent, but, but now going into the Sim- Simarillion, I can never say that word. Um, <laughs> I'm, you get these, these um, insights into how deep that world. So the other, last night I posted on Twitter or on Facebook, um, I said, who knew that, that one of Zoran's other titles was Lord of the Werewolves? Yeah. Which you don't get from the movies. And you and and then suddenly like everybody on my timeline started shooting at each other over <laughs> Tolkien and talking about this. I mean, rabid discussions. It was one of the best conversations ever. But it was just, you know, it's just it, it, it goes in. So I was actually kind of stunned, like at that and then some other people like oh and the time that he got it on with Shelob and but i'm like i had no idea of that so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so like again tolkien is one of those things that's still surprising you 40 years later and so that was pretty whoop to me yeah i would yeah, say that yeah. cool yeah.
1: It's, it's kind of one of those things that's amazing sorry Luke. it's one of those um, amazing things where you realize that the entire lord of the rings trilogy is summed up in one chapter of the silmarillion
0: <laughs> <laughs> i have i got to that chapter yet is it at the end
1: it's towards the end. Yeah. Spoiler oh, okay. end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a bigger, deeper world that, you know, um, yeah, you, you, the book is the, that moment. It is a pivotal moment, but it's small.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just as, a, as an aside, Nick, are you sort of enjoying writing games? Is this something you've always wanted to do?
0: I yeah I think always I you know like I I grew up a tabletop gamer um, yeah. playing games like D and D and Starfleet battles and things like that and so always naturally a video gamer and I think all of us sit there and imagine you know the game that you would make and when I wrote Soda Pop Soldier and Control Alt Revolt that was that that was my homage to that
2: yeah.
0: um, in Soda Pop Soldier I combined the games Call of Duty and Battlefield together that was like if you if you play those games you know that both are you know first person shooter war games both approach the genre differently and in my you know my caligula sort of desire is that both of them get together and and that that book was what i wanted to write and then i was a big diablo fan so i wanted to put some of that in so you but the what you find often with the video game industry is they're like we don't really need ideas we have tons of those but i i locked into this one publisher um and they they wanted someone to come in and build worlds and it's weird going from a writing experience where you are the director you are the casting director, you are the, you know, you even do the costumes and the music and all that kind of stuff. It, I think the average writer doesn't realize that they are a full blown movie production. Yeah. And then you go back to working with a group of people and suddenly you're sitting around a table and you lay out your, the pageantry of the world that you and then people are suddenly weighing in with ideas and you've got to adjust and change. And then you take all these to some, let's just say, mega super Korean corporation. And, and then they ask you questions that are important to them. Like, what does she look like when the mask is off? And you're like, Oh, so Mm -hmm. it's, 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 an, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting experience. I would say I'm keeping a lighter touch with it than my, the writing that I developed for, you know, my brand, I'm, I'm willing to just put something out there and then let it evolve in the group collective and I think that's kind of what you have. I would say this: it has been told to me repeatedly that writers have a very bad reputation in the video game industry. That sometimes they're just brought in as celebrities um, oh, okay. to sort of like, yeah. And it's they're not. There is there are there is a whole class of video game writers, um, and they they seem to view us regular writers differently. And so you're kind of like maybe you're, you're kind of like a circus freak but you're definitely treated with like deference and respect and and i i just managed to lock in with the right group of people i think that really appreciate me there was a producer that was involved in the project and he he was kind of coming at me with um like a bull you know and like and and challenging me to kind of like live up to all the bad expectations that I mean, writers being involved in video games goes back even to Douglas Adams. That's what he was doing when he died. He was working with a video game company um, on 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 a project, and and so I think th- there was a lot of procrastination involved and blah blah blah. And I and I've heard just other bad stories in that respect. So I tried to become more of a service provider to them and just more of a font of wisdom and knowledge and that we've seemed to have arrived at that. And the last nuance I would say is writing for a video game is much different than writing for a novel and that I learned very early on, they want much less, which is really hilarious because I work pretty fast. So Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, like I I can usually write what they want in a matter of an hour, but (laughs) I had this like service you know, provider like, oh, I want to give you all the I want to give you the sim yeah. I want to tell you why. And they were like, no, we don't want that. We just want this bad character as Lord of the Werewolves. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to we don't want you to tell us every you know like but I, as a writer, I wanted to tell you all my fascinating backstory. Cool. <laughs> so I had to learn how to let go of all those tricks. I mean, I think what it, what I what I realized finally in the end is what they wanted were PowerPoint presentations. They didn't want chat. They didn't even. I went from writing short stories to paragraphs to one-liners. To in the end, they wanted PowerPoint presentations with a picture. Wow. And once I kind of figured that out, I was like, oh, okay. Now I know how to talk to them.
2: Yeah. It was
0: very much it was very much a Jane Goodall experience in that I had to go live with the gorillas and learn how to communicate.
2: <laughs> I've, um, <laughs> I've been approached about working on a couple of games before. And I've tried to ask, so what are the actual deliverables that you want? Because when you're writing a book or like a script or something, you know, you're going to, the end output is this book. Whereas writing right. a game, I was like, so what? I don't understand what they um what they actually wanted, and they still never really told me because it was it was too under NDAs and and stuff like that at the time. But um yeah, did I, you, that was my, your, Did you know your, what, your, was, your, what was what was going on?
0: No, I was had I had your same experience. It, like I said, it was living with the gorillas. You yeah. had to, What I learned in the end is these are you know these are people. I um I'm gonna go ahead and just wipe out the whole game industry right now. I'm. <laughs> sometimes convinced that most of them have aspergers to some extent yeah and they communicate a very specific way and it's not there is never any feedback there is never you, like as a writer you can you can just go on to amazon or facebook and generally the people will, who read you will tell you what a wonderful person you are or you can read a good review or you know, like there's tons, most people don't realize there's actually tons of feedback as a writer and not all of it is good. And by good, I mean, not all of it is good for you. Some of it is very false. Some people just think because they're talking to a writer, they can just gush on you. And, and then there are some writers who fall for that. And they believe that, you know, because I have all these ones five star reviews, I'm a wonderful person. No, you're a horrible person, John Scalzi. Um, so did I say uh,
2: uh, something I came out then? Yeah, something slipped out. Yeah,
0: that's just that is <laughs> just, yeah, it's just it. But you should never believe the reviews whether you're a good person. Um, what I learned with the video game people is if they don't say anything, it's good, mm. and if they say something, then it's something that you need to fix. They're very blunt, they're very brutal. Sounds like my childhood, right? And it's, it's very engineering based, you know, like, and they don't even really, uh, I think the real true designers, they don't even really think about the story. They're thinking more about the rules of the game that they're building. They're thinking about one plus one and numbers and, and this archetype beats this archetype and all they're really like, I would say the thing to wrap your mind around in the video game industry is that they're building a house and they would like you to put some paint on it. Whereas we as writers are used to building the house. No, they don't want to do that. They would just like you to color. They they have this this entity called A, and A attacks other things at plus one, and they would like you to develop the fiction for why that is. And you can use laser guns, and you can use robots, and you can use whatever Um And that's kind of what they're looking for in the world-building aspect. But it 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 is like sort of you've got to feel your way forward to what communication style works best for them. But most likely, less is more. But you feel really weird giving them less. Yeah,
1: yeah. They feel like you're just copping out on yeah on what they're actually after.
0: They're really just looking for one line in a picture. And that's you know a lot of the uh, um, that's a that's the reason why writers have a hard time in Hollywood. Um, because a lot of the times writers want to go in and tell you this thing that they've sat in the dark, you know, starving and working on. And the average Hollywood executive is looking for a four line, 25 word elevator pitch that takes them from the top to the bottom, and the reason it's called an elevator pitch is because you're hoping to get in an elevator and tell an executive what this pitch is by the time it takes to go to one floor.
2: Yeah. So
0: you know that's that's a hard thing to take. What you love, you know, it would be like imagine bringing J.R. Tolkien into Hollywood, and he's not known <laughs> an or anything like that, and saying, okay, tell us what your story is about in 25 words or less. Yeah. And I, you know, as brilliant as he was, and but this is a guy who had been working on that from 1919 until uh, I think 1965, 40 mm. some odd years of work, you know, now condensed down to four sentences. But
2: that's into that's a tweet. Hollywood. yeah,
0: yeah, into a tweet. <laughs> and I think the video game people are like, Can you pull a picture off the internet and put a line next to it that tells us what this is about? And you're like, Oh. Yeah, yeah, I can do that because there's a paycheck. Do I want to do it? No, Mm. I'd rather, you know. But they don't, they don't want a short story, you know, about, you know, why the elves do what the elves do.
2: Yeah. So, are you working on on that game on your own, or is there a bit of a team of you?
0: No, it's a team. It's and it's it's a it's um it's a pretty it's a pretty big project, and I am slathered in NDAs, so I can't
2: Yeah. yeah give away
0: the details. But it is it is about as big as it gets.
2: Triple A. Wow. Is that what okay. they say? Triple A, that's the terminology, right?
0: Yeah, it's triple i have I've, I'm now a part of two projects and one project I think is dead in the water. Yeah. But it was, that was the initial project that brought me in. That was as big as it gets. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I really, I really wanted to talk about it, but the the level of NDAs that I had to sign was frightening. Uh I'm hoping now that it's dead, I can actually say it, but if I I said it, people would immediately get what it was. But the, the team that formed out of that decided they wanted to stay together and they were willing for me to come along. like It's like a pirate ship, and they were willing for me to sign on for another voyage. And so we went and approached another giant studio, and we pitched them something, and they seemed very, very excited. And they have probably right now one of the most popular games on Xbox that sort of people can play. Um, so we're pitching them and hoping to go forward with that. And if it all falls apart, then, you know, back to writing.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, So, just so you've got like, so you've got the game writing, you've got like a plethora of novels, you've got the post apocalyptic stuff, a lit RPG, which is a genre we're seeing more and more of now, uh, the satirical stuff. Um, Which one of these books would you say best represents Nick Cole and your brand?
0: You know, I would say the book that I started out with, I sold 80,000 copies of on Amazon in 2011, is a book called The Old Man in the Wasteland. And I think I will always be a post-apocalyptic writer. And that was picked up by HarperCollins and then made into a book, um, which is three novels in one called The Wasteland Saga. I think that novel best represents me um, it's where my core is. It's 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 where most people know me from as sort of a a post a literary post-apocalyptic writer, you know, maybe post-apocalyptic Hemingway. No, I don't think I'm Hemingway. Yeah. But I work in those themes and I like that. The satire is my core personality in that I I sort of just watch things and and go, you know, watch TV or read books. And i don't make fun of things but i take them to the level of absurdity but that's just like a core passion project that i've written one absurdist novel and one absurdist novella that sort of was shortlisted for the hugos long listed for the hugos actually and um and i enjoy that but i don't think people associate me with those things the lit rpg thing as you said is coming out of out of nowhere it's pretty cool and pretty huge that's the most controversial thing that i wrote that that sort of was, was, was resonated in 2016. And I won a dragon award novel for that. Yeah. Um, so I, but for like, for people who are listening to this, I would say just pick up the wasteland saga. I think it's six 99 on Amazon right now. And that's, you know, if you like, if you liked, if you like Mad Max, if you like fallout, if you like the old man in the sea, if, if you like a good sort of Cormac, the McCarthy, McCarthy's the road, then that's a book that, that you're going to have a good time with.
2: Did you, uh, did you grow up reading like post-apocalyptic type stuff?
0: I did. And it was always like, I think, you know, any of us who grew up in the seventies, really, I mean, I'm not, I was born in the sixties, but seventies and eighties, you, you have this over, you know, under, you have this underappreciated overriding theme in your head of being destroyed by a nuclear war. We all did the stop, drop, and roll drills, you know, You know, and and we we had seen such movies as Mad Max, which is post-apocalyptic, but there were so many, like Planet of the Apes is a post-apocalyptic movie. There were so many movies in our hard drive that were the only science fiction we could get our hands on until Star Wars that sort of had these post-apocalyptic themes, so for me it was and then i was in the military and i got out of the military and i went through this sort of period of like floundering around in film school and trying to find myself and maybe spending too much time at the pub and i was beginning to sort of see uh the 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 appeal of of the post apocalyptic civilization Hmm. and i i i i think that that I, i would always read these little novels that were very pulpy and very b and weren't making any lists but they were they were dead, like Starman's Son, or I remember I read this one, The Journey of Hyro, and stuff like that. And they were there was it was just very cool. Or, you know, you could play the game, the sort of D style game that was um called Gamma World. And then a lot of video games in the eighties were very post apocalyptic. Um, that the world had melted down and you had to go through all these enemies and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I think The the, the fruits that we're seeing in sort of the post-apocalyptic burgeoning now from everything from the literature that's out there to The Walking Dead, that was a long time coming, probably, you know, based on the 70s and this sort of constant threat of intercontinental nuclear warfare. Yeah.
2: When we read a lot of, uh, you, you're traditionally published and you're independently published. Uh, we read, yes. we read everything all over the place, and we do notice that some indie fiction, perhaps, has, isn't the most fluid of uh, of, of prose. <laughs> but when but when, yeah. when we come to write, like reading your uh, book like The Red King, um, the, the, the prose is so fluid. It's so. I, I think I read that book in two days, which is I'm a quite a slow reader. I think anyway. And like I don't think so, and I just <laughs> you're a very to, fast reader. I just want to say like you you have such uh a mature writing style and i mean when when did you first pick up a pen and start writing
0: um I was writing since i think I, I think all of us were weren't we since like eleven, and yeah, since we read the Lord of the Rings and, and yeah. you know you know i think I think we all start writing then I always I, and thank you so much that is that I think that's the kindest thing uh, a writer can hear and it's the best thing you can you can get five star reviews and you can get all these things but i love it when people say i i picked up your novel and i didn't mean to and then i looked at the clock and it was two o'clock in the morning
2: (laughs) yeah Mm. you
0: know and i still have to go to work but that's okay i'm probably gonna think you know i even had a doctor one time say you know like i i i the the worst part about today is that you know i'm i'm I, I want to read this book, but I got to do my job. And I'm like, I don't know that the doctor should, no, I hope no. he wasn't that kind of doctor. You I've know, got a 10 right? hour
2: brain surgery to do, but I'm knackered. I've been up all night reading yeah, your book.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or I'm slipping out between, you know, cuts to, to, yeah. but anyways, you know, um, so I always did that. And, and, and I, I wrote for a long time before the internet, one of the worst, one of the best things and worst things that happened to writers was, this digital revolution that I talked about and the problem, the great thing about it is we can, all of us can now go with our product straight to the market. That's the great thing. The bad thing is that all of us can now go to the market with our product mm-hmm. because there are people who really, and, and here's the weird thing. There are people who are writing badly, know that they're writing badly and still selling well. And then I know of some people in particular who now take their books back to an editor to be re-edited and do well now that's the success story you can you can put some junk up there and as long as you tell it charmingly and winningly and it's interesting people will i think people will overlook you know bad grammar and there's some people that don't even realize there's bad grammar yeah but you're they're having to go back now and have those things edited I spent a lot of time submitting to literary fiction magazines and contests and and even to actual publishers and working with editors to find my voice, to get to that style, and, and there was a lot of rejection. I mean, there was an inordinate amount of rejection. But the way that I handled that rejection is whenever I got a rejection letter, I would immediately go back in and rewrite that story and try to get better. Well, I think a lot of people, and I would tell them wisely now, don't go to big publishing. Don't do these contests. Don't do these literary journals that are asking for $25 for a submission. Take your work right to the internet. And that's wonderful and that's cool. You can go right to Amazon with it. But the problem is is not everybody is putting their best foot forward. They're not doing their best. I have a very specific editing style in that I read because I was an actor, I actually read my novel back out loud like an audiobook narrator upwards of 20, 25 times. And wow. in it's insane, but in doing that, I hear the book. And I'm yeah, able yeah. I'm able to be true and I and, and when it's weird. You can write something and you're like, that makes sense. And then when you say it out loud, you're like, that's the phoniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but most people, and it of course the English, you know, polite to the point of death. It may seem a little weird to go into a closed room and to act out those parts. And your, you know, flatmates or or whoever might think, oh, he's a bit daft, he's gone off. But if that's what it takes to get it to that fever pitch of language, then that's what I I tell everybody. That's what you've got to do. And you can't just do it once. You can't just do it twice. I mean, literally when I wrote the old man in the wasteland, I was upwards of 20 times and I was getting bored to death with my story. And I knew I was reaching this moment where I couldn't do this anymore. It wasn't fresh, but I think, when i get feedback on that that story that book the wasteland saga people are so like i have had crazy letters come back on that novel people who've lost loved ones soldiers of an uh, uh, iraq and afghanistan you know that that's a meaningful book to people and part of it was you know going into that level and i did that with the red king too you know i i i'm not comfortable with this 30 60 90 day model that everybody's advocating Unfortunately, they're all making a lot of money doing it, but you know, like I right now, I'm writing the sequel to Soda Pop Soldier too, and it ha- it has to be done over and over and over and over again and again and again to just get it to that point where it's so easy for the reader to read, <clears throat> and they're not they're not getting bogged down in the details. So that's the one thing I encourage everybody. I know that costs a lot more. I know it's it's mm. it's, it's 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 extra but i can guarantee you even if you do even if you you know if if you've got a book that you're you're about ready to publish or it's in the editing process if you commit yourself to sit down and go through it five times top to bottom out loud acting out all the parts to the best of your ability it will be a far superior book and there's two tricks that i would say to doing that Start taking your favorite actors and letting them play the parts of the characters or the actor that you think fits that character and start listening to audiobooks and listen to how certain narrators, like if that Mayor Trevathan who does The End of the World is as you know it, if you actually listen to her do Control Alt Revolt, she does all the voices and one of those voices is Rutger Hauer as um, <laughs> Roy Batty in Blade Runner and she does it and she makes you think that that not she doesn't actually do the actual voice she's a woman but she gets the nuance and cadences so right that you really do get that last moment of blade runner because i I lifted that character from blade runner and and she gets it and nails it and so if you can do that the reader's picking it up they don't even realize they're hearing it and they're thinking wow i'm having a great experience so it's kind of like getting inside the reader's hard drive
1: yeah. Yeah. So what 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 does that process look like if um because I'm just trying to picture it in my head because when it comes around to editing I've tried a couple of times reading out loud and I find that I just get bored of my own voice but do you <laughs> find that you'll do you find that you'll kind of read big chunks maybe highlight a couple of bits here and there and then come
0: back to them or do you literally just do line by line and edit as you go? Line by line and edit as I go and then I I I think we all have you know well I mean i i i wish i sounded like a cross between donald sutherland and garrison keeler and maybe like doing <laughs> kurt vonnegut but what i realized is that was my voice like we're, we go to all these writing classes and we learn all these things and they're always saying this nebulous thing like so many of the things that you learn in this life are taught by professionals who absolutely understand what they're talking about, and then they try to communicate it to you, and you're like, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I once did this improv class, and it was with a famous you know, company in LA called The Groundlings. Everybody who is a big famous American actor has gone through that. Will Ferrell, Lisa Kudrow, Phil Hartman, John Lovitz, you know, a lot of big actors have gone through that. And they would always try to tell you, you need to listen in the scene. And you'd be like, I am listening. And they're like, no, you're not. We can tell that you're not. And they said, there will come this matrix moment when you'll get it and you'll be able to listen in the scene. And it came for me finally. And from that, I understood that there were things that people, they try to teach you and you hear it, but you don't necessarily get it or apply it. And so I would say voice is one of those things in writing. There, whenever, if you have a favorite author and you think about that author right now, whether it's, it's Heinlein or Edgar Rice Burroughs or even Stephen King, they have a way of telling a story that's their voice you could pick it out of like if 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 people cut up texts from 20 different books there is probably a very strong chance that you could read their text anonymously and say oh this was written by stephen king and that's what brighter writers who have established brand have and brand means that thing that people think of you they think oh that's stephen king that's nick cole that's You know luke condor that's that's dan wilcox that's how they see your voice the problem generally in the indie movement is that we haven't had the time to get there or you know we haven't found it but if you really want to up your game as a writer the most crucial thing that you can do right now is figure out what your voice is and start writing start telling all your stories in that vein and it has something to do with the tone and the cadence of the writing and how you tell the story. But I've found that when I actually perform the book out loud, which is what I call reading back, I really do hear myself in the words. And it's it's maybe not necessarily how I normally speak in life. I've had people, like, they'll read my books and then they'll hear me in an interview and they're like, whoa, I totally <laughs> didn't think you sounded like that. And I'm like, yeah, I know that people will say sometimes that I sound in my writing much more noir, much more Raymond Chandler. I like to think of it as more of a Garrison Keeler, If you know who he is, it's he does the Prairie Home Companion, but it's it's more of a storyteller's style. Mm-hmm. And and they're just hearing it in my voice and writing, not my real voice. So. I don't know, like, again, I go back to, I don't know if all that makes sense, but, but there is something to voice. And I think you find it through performing your book out loud and hearing yourself tell the story of your story to you. And then finding those things that are like, no, that's just me trying to be Hemingway there. I need to take that out. I'm not Hemingway. I'm Luke Condor. And I write this way and I use this word and it's, it is weird, but it's, you know, it's the same thing like tracking in the forest. I, Every writer has a distinctive set of foot footprints, and I should be able to follow you through the forest of the book.
1: Let me ask you. I get. Uh, oh, sorry. Go on, go on down. I, I was just going to say I get that with um, considering that me and Luke we we did the first book of They Rock, um collab. I've had a right. few people that I work with literally go. I giggled at this line because I knew it was it was you. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so when
0: you're like. Like there, there are things like when you're hanging out in the pub or whatever like that, there are things that – or you think about your best friends, there are things that you'll see sometimes on TV and you'll say, that is so John. Mm. And that's John's voice and that's what you're looking to develop as a writer. When Stephen King – like my wife and I listen to a lot of Stephen King novels and he'll have sometimes phrases in those books that are so – not just gross, not just crass, but like worthy of an eighth grader giggling. You know, just, you know, just something like in, in The Dark King, uh, in, the, in, in The Dark Tower, there is a line about the character Mordred, and, and it, a, he kills somebody and then issues a victory fart. And I'm sorry to be crass, but like my wife and I look at each other and go, Stephen King, everybody, yeah. you know, because it's such a Stephen King way of telling a story, and that's his voice. And like I said, if you clipped out 20 anonymous pieces of text, I could tell you which one Stephen King wrote. Sometimes we can go off like J.K. Rowling. You can go off and tell a Robert Galbraith novel and that's fine. But before you do all those things, maybe it's important to, you know, like for her to make up all these sort of faux fantasy, cute, cozy terms and bend those into a fantasy. And then people go, oh, that's J.K. Rowling. And maybe that's the key to success is when you, when you really nail down that voice.
2: Uh, so, Nick, let me just ask you a quick question. So, what would, you, what would you define as a more successful venture as a writer to uh, establish and find your own voice or to make a shitload of money?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm always going to go with money. Uh, okay. <laughs> because, yeah. Because, you know, like I'm, I'm just – I think so many writers get killed In this sort of, you know, highfalutin fantasy, Um, highfalutin is an Old West term we have in in America of putting on airs, of sort of, you know, thinking you're the lord of the manor kind of thing. Yeah. It's, you know, you can have all those pretensions and you can wear tweed and you can have elbow patches and have a pipe and you can think all these great high literary thoughts and you can play this game of big publishing, which is, you know, a game of of, of ivory towers. And it's a game of, of getting to know people at conventions and the right people and making the right literary noises. And uh, unfortunately, with our culture right now, that's very Wherever you stand, that's a very left-leaning way to think. If you really want to be loved by the big publishing establishment, you will make the appropriate political noises and t- and talk about the things and the topics that they want to talk about to get your novels reviewed and to, to, to get sort of this literary approval and success and maybe even win a Booker Prize. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have hillbillies in America – you know, like A-American or, you know, or even James Patterson who writes Drek, you know, or, you know, whatever. And these people are not just paying off their mortgages. They're paying off their parents and their grandparents' mortgages on money. And there's something to be said about that as opposed to being a starving writer who's, you know, Stephen King said it in his book on writing. He said, you can either be critically liked or you can be commercially successful. And I've actually, found that to be the case. I mean, as much as everybody always wants to reinvent the wheel or throw themselves at the wall and say, I'm going to be different. I'm going to have everything. I think that you can either be commercially successful or you can be critically important. And that's why whenever anybody, and I think, again, again, I give long answers for everything, but I would say this, so many writers get hung up on trying to write the important novel, and we call it like in America, the great American novel, the great British. Now, you know, the, I my code word for it is lavender and croquet. Yeah. You know, it's this super angsty novel, or you can just write the junk that you want to read. And that's what I write when I write The Red King. And honestly, even though The Wasteland Saga is a literary novel, I came up with that book when I saw the advertisement for fallout three and I didn't have an Xbox console and I was laying on my bed because I was a broke out of work actor and I was staring upside down at the ceiling and I was thinking, man, I really want to play that fallout. And I wonder what it's going to be like. And I was thinking about the old man in the sea, which is one of my favorite books. And I was like, Hey, wouldn't that be cool if you took the old man in the sea, but you set it in fallout. And that's how I started writing that, that book. I just wrote some pulpy junk. And when you, when you go back kind of maybe and look at some of the really great authors of the past even the great gatsby or even raymond chandler they were writing some fairly pulpy junk that just it was so successful i mean the old man and the sea is basically a sports adventure tale it just came with some life truths it wasn't it didn't set out to be important but when i think you go the big publishing route They're always interested in these – let's like – okay, in science fiction, let's talk about transgenderism right now or let's talk about race or let's talk about all these character aspects as opposed to what would it be like if monkeys had machine guns and they ruled the earth? (laughs) I'd like – you and you tried to survive because you were an astronaut. It's it's gotten away from like pulp and adventure but when you look at those guys who were churning out a novel every 30 days – they are writing like they're on a roller coaster and they're barely hanging on and they're using everything that they can to entertain their audience for one minute more they don't have time for highfalutin thoughts they're Mm. just trying to blow stuff up to keep you turning a page yeah one of the um questions i was so i was kind of surprised it took
1: about halfway through this episode for you to mention Stephen King, because I was starting to doubt one of my theories about you. Um, which which was, so I'm reading, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm making my way through the end of the world as we knew it, which is riddled with Dark Tower references, it's very um, it's sort of, uh, as I'm reading it, and forgive me if this is not how you pictured it, it's very almost like the other side of the tower, you've got this sort of big building block that the um, main protagonist is making his way through, and you speak a lot about Stephen King at this point. Would you say, as he probably is with most writers, that he is one of your big influences for your books? Because obviously The Wastelands was also a Dark Tower novel. Um, the Crimson King is a big part of that series. Is that something that is a conscious thought or is that just sort of a very happy coincidence?
0: No, I am an unabashed lover of Stephen King. and I, I, I love him so much that I never want to meet him because I'm pretty sure he would not <laughs> like me. Um, but <laughs> the I think, ultimate dream crusher <laughs> yeah i mean i i was in hollywood long enough to realize you don't want to meet you know captain picard you don't want to meet the yeah. people that you think you know you have because they're real people and they let you down and they're just sort of strange and average like you and you're like no you're kirk you're in charge of the, the enterprise you're, you know you're, you're you're captain picard you don't want to meet these people so um and i, and I would love to meet stephen can would be great but no i i have I have listened to him for years. I Mainly I spent a lot of time driving on the road um, into the deep Southwest and it's very empty and vacant out there. And so I took him with me on a lot of journeys. So he influenced my writing style. But when I look at his brilliance and how he has evolved as a writer to even i think now today he's he's actually doing some of his best work now but if you look mm-hmm. at a lot or you 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 talk to a lot of Stephen King fans they will tell you that his best work was in the 80s and i you know it's but i'm just saying in, in a in a in a cutthroat culture where you have some people who can write great novels and then they you know like J.D. Salinger and then they never write anything again or Frederick Forsyth they write four novels and that's it To do the hat trick that he has been able to do, which is to consistently launch big and to keep people entertained and to be so prolific in all forms, media, audio, um, movies, games, even all that kind of stuff. He's done so well. And I can tell you this. There is a modern one of I had an agent, a New York agent for a while when I was with the big publishers and I fired him. And he told me sort of the in, inside scoop about a lot of people that we think write books, and he said they don't actually write those books. There are teams of people writing those books for them. But I can tell you with Stephen King, that cat writes his own books. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is he is a writer's writer. The and and you know that he's great because the critics hate him. You know, and they call <laughs> him. <to laughs> And, and that's but, you know, I mean, Stephen King could literally buy these people and make them dance for nickels. He has yes. so much money and that's that's probably why they hate him. But does he write schlocky, pulpy junk? Yeah. But does he write real, honest people and characters going through it? And is there a bit of wisdom and truth? And does he attack social and cultural issues that he feels are relevant and important? Yeah. The cat's Mozart. Mozart wrote junk for King Ludwig. You know, he it's, you know, Mozart was a performer who wrote what people liked. We now 500 years later think that it was great, but at the time it was just pop music. And I think I, I always think of Stephen King as the Mozart of, of writing and that people will loathe him because he is commercially successful. But there's a brilliance there. And when you look at the Dark Tower novels and those are some of my favorite obviously from the end of the world when you look at the games that he played with readers and not to give any spoilers away to anybody but that he told you what the entire book was about in the first sentence and then he made you read through seven books and then he pulled such a magician's trick that you didn't see it coming and then he warned you halfway through the seventh book he said listen you can put this book deck book down and be happy but if you go forward you're going to be very unhappy
2: i'm uh, i'm only <laughs> on book three and i'm reading it at the minute uh, so yeah i'm, I'm excited I'm yeah
0: yeah um, go back and go, go back and read the first <laughs> set and yeah. you know it <laughs> I, I already know it is in my head, head. Yeah, I, I do as well. Yeah. Off, off the map. The, 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 it was so. And there are, there'll be people that hate it, but there's there's a trick he plays in this, the seventh book where he says, it, You remember, and he tells you about another trick, the mind trap. And he says, Remember when you went through the mind trap in this book? I'm going to do it to you now. Put it down and don't go forward. And I actually know people who've heeded that. And they said, I went six months doing it and I couldn't take it. I had to find out what was behind that door. <laughs> He plays this game with the reader. You have to know. So he's brilliant on levels none of us get. And and so yeah, I'm a huge fan. Would you say that's One your of my, uh,
2: favorite book, or have you got another favorite Stephen King book?
0: Um, The Dark Tower. I would say, uh, yeah, yeah, it's probably my favorite of all his. His stuff, but you know, I really liked Mr. Mercedes and I like it, you know, and I I like his short story work is so underappreciated, but like there's nothing more joyful than to have Stephen King short stories to go through because he just, he's like a roller coaster and he just says, Hey, I can do all that. You know, he's, he's just a brilliant writer, but even, you know, his, 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 um, nonfiction or non-horror fiction is excellent. So he's just a a fun way to spend a Saturday evening. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so we, we're we're pretty much through our
1: time really Uh, Dan, If you got any final questions you want to ask? I have so many, but I don't think any of them are small. So we're going to have to try and get you back at some point if that's all right. Yeah, I would love to. I'll
0: always come back. That'd be great.
2: Yeah. I was going to ask you about the the Star Wars, not Star Wars stuff, but that's. that's probably going to be a whole topic in itself. So we're definitely going to have to get you back contractually. Yeah, <laughs> I would.
0: I, the, the one thing that I would say about that is that I just love Star Wars, and this other writer and I got together, and we just decided to tell Star Wars without it being in the Star Wars universe, <laughs> meaning just like we all did when we were kids and we played with action figures. And yeah. it, it, it's sometimes people want to invent out of whole cloth, and I was like, no, I want mm-hmm. to tell about freighter pilots and ba- bounty hunters and blasters. So we just started a, a site called Star Wars, not Star Wars, and we just published serialized fiction on it which I think is a new sort of marketing tool that people are doing with Patron and things like that I wanted to mm. do it outside of Patron because I'm kind of I'm getting leery of corporate sort of interests and when when a corporation sort of maybe doesn't like your political agenda they can they can throttle you And I'm, yeah. this was my experiment experiment not to do that so yeah. we'll see <laughs>
2: So but yeah, we, have
0: me back. We can that Yeah, talk definitely.
2: About I saw the uh, the, uh, the the mock-ups of the cover art as well, and it was so cool. It reminded me of um uh, you know Tales from the Bounty Hunter books. I, I used to read the, the Expanded Universe books growing
0: up and yeah. it,
2: it seems to be playing on a similar sort of line. Uh so we we'll Yeah, get, we did we uh, got
0: uh, I actually hired one of the video game artists that's you know, he actually works with um, some really big titles and I was like oh you? do you want to we were just talking and he's like I'd love to do a book cover and this is a guy who probably gets paid I just met one artist who gets paid 5,000 bucks a model and I was like, wow. Jeez. So the being in the video game industry has given me access to all this like wildly brilliant talent who like doesn't even understand book cover. Ho- they don't even understand book covers, but they want to do okay. them. And I'm like, oh well, yeah, I feel I feel like a like a like a sort of shady stranger luring them into an alley. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we can do this. And, what do you charge? Oh, no one ever charges more. You know, I don't
2: <laughs> Uh, so, before we, before you go, Nick, we've got a quick fire round for you. Uh, we've sure. Got 10 short questions. Feel I can free do it. to. I can do this. You, I can can do do it. Sure. you got it, man. You got it. So, yeah,
0: I can be brief.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Dan, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I can go first if you like. Go for it. Uh, are you ready? Yes. Cool. Biggest hobby outside of writing? Uh, reading. Mrs. Doubtfire or Miss Congeniality? Mrs. Doubtfire.
0: Collab or solo writing? Solo writing.
2: What's your spirit animal?
0: I would say probably the bull.
1: What was the last book you read?
0: Uh, uh, I just read Starman's Son by Lee Brackett.
2: Uh, The one person you'd like to meet? Stephen King. Your favorite place to write? My Backyard. Lord of the Rings
1: or The Dark Tower?
0: Lord of the Rings.
1: Sugar Spice Everything Nice or Chemical X? Chemical X. (laughs) oh uh would you come back on the show yes Would you already
2: cool okay uh so <laughs> just finally then uh, where can we follow you and in your, in your work nick
0: um, just check out niccolebooks.com, N-I-C-K-C-O-L-E, C-O-L-E books.com. Um, you can also look me up on Facebook. If you actually go over to com and you sign up for my email list, I do not spam people, but you get a free novel. And then three emails later, uh, which is about a week later, um, you actually get a free novella, which is my uh, version of Hunter S. Thompson meets Saved by the Bell.
2: And a, the, the novel is The Red King, right? Is that?
0: Uh, the novel is The Red King, yeah. and that kind of gets started on the series, and you guys enjoyed it. So yeah. it's uh, I'm probably going to take that up to about 12 books, and I think people are kind of enjoying that.
2: Cool. Um, yeah, it's a great book, so I totally recommend it. Uh, so thanks to uh, Disaster Peace for the intro and outro music. Thanks to ACAS for hosting the show, the listeners for listening. Um, thanks to the patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. Uh, thanks to Dan, my co host, for being here, because without you, I'll be alone. And thanks again to Nick. Thank you so much, Nick, for coming on. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you,
0: Jess. This was wonderful.
2: So join us next time, guys. We're talking to Craig Martel, He's the best-selling author of the Nomad series. So that should be fun. All right. Take care. Bye.
1: <laughs> See ya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show,
2: The Other Stories? Oh. And did you know, every
1: time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute eh? Anyway, toodle pip.